Good morning, entrepreneurs. Welcome to the non-corporate network, the worldwide leader in entrepreneurship. You are tuned in to Entrepreneurs, a show where Dustin and I debate the top six trending small business headlines for three minutes each. We give our takes. Uh, and uh, yeah, hopefully you guys are watching on Facebook Live. Maybe you're tuned in on the podcast. If you're not, you can check us out on Apple and Spotify podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, but we are happy you are here with us on a Monday, getting after it. Dustin, what do you got to say? No, it's pre appreciate you guys tuning in. I think you, you might have left out Twitch. Have we, uh, we conquered Twitch we're, we're, yet? We're working on getting on Twitch as well. You can find us pretty much anywhere in Encorp Network. Thank you guys again for your support of what we got going on. Um, without further ado, Dustin, you ready to get into this? Yeah, let's go ahead. All ready right. to get a W. <sighs> of, course you, of course you're going to mention something <laughs> like that. Uh, okay, getting into our first story. Twitter to label state-controlled news accounts. Twitter said it will no longer amplify tweets by state-controlled media organizations by excluding them from its recommendation system. This is one step closer towards content moderation. There's been an outcry of hate speech being amplified by Facebook, by Twitter. Uh, Twitter seems to be leading the charge here. Uh, you keep, we hear policies changing. It's usually coming from... Uh, the world of Twitter first. And so, uh, you know, Dustin, what are your thoughts here? Uh, is this the kind of content moderation we need? What is this going to do for us uh, in terms of the content moderation conversation? No, I think it's definitely a step in the right direction. Um, I mean, labeling it, people can clearly see it. My thing is, though, it's, uh, you know, Twitter isn't in the news for uh, all the politic political talk coming from politics. It's, uh, you know, these fake accounts that that's pushing stuff. So this would be missed there. Um, and at the end of the day, it's everyone's talking about hate speech and, and it's not hate speech that they're they're labeling. It's just someone that that works in the government or uh, basically that voice or that profile is associated with the, right. any type of government. Like I said, it's it's good. It helps people identify where or who this is coming from. Right. But in terms of how Twitter has been abused in the past, I don't think that this gets us any closer there. I do think that it is awesome that they are um, doing the things necessary to keep. Yeah. The evolution going in terms of uh, ensuring that you know not just bad contents getting out there who's able to identify where the content's coming from and right. stuff like that i mean what are, what are your thoughts yeah i mean i think it's kind of a preemptive type of policy that is going to affect change long term i mean you look at this and think you know there's this mental warfare going on of influence on social media and so when you have you know politicians that are showing up and recommended tabs. It's kind of permutating their opinions. And that's kind of subliminally what you're seeing as a user. So I think it is a step in the right direction to eliminate it from the recommendations, let people decide who they want to follow, what kind of messages they want to subscribe to. Uh, and, you know, to your point, the effectiveness of identifying hate speech using AI on Twitter is around 40%. Um, which is not a great number. Uh, it's about 89% on Facebook right now. And so obviously they've got some work to do to catch up there. But again, like I said, this is a preemptive policy that I think is going to help us to identify deep fakes. It's going to verify accounts that are real state-owned accounts. You're going to know if it's a real state-owned account or not. And um, you know, I think that things like that are definitely going to help Twitter out. Uh, but you know, as you mentioned, we got to get that uh, 40% number up a little higher. Yeah, no, Facebook is definitely killing them there. I wonder if this is one of uh, a few or many more moves as we get closer to, uh, you know, voting time. Yeah, um, I, you true. know, 
things are going to ramp up in terms of uh, how much uh, people are talking each party and all that. And so, you know, it's, it's, that was a big piece of conversation during last year's uh, election oh, was just how, yeah. how social media was used to sway an election. Right. And granted, like, like, like I mentioned, it wasn't, they said Russia came out and, and swung the election last year. It's not like Putin came out and was, was amplifying anything. It was these, <laughs> yeah. these weird one-off accounts that, right. that they pushed. And right. so, We'll see how they 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 handle that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point. Hopefully, uh, yeah, everybody's walking on thin ice as when you talk about social media and elections. Uh, well, getting into our next story, Macy's is sued for the use of Clearview facial recognition software. Uh, they're accused of using facial recognition data to help uh, retarget people that visit their stores on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. Uh, this is, this is crazy, man. This is, uh, this, I, I feel like I've been violated if I've been to Macy's for sure as a customer. Um, you should definitely know if facial recognition data is being used on the security cameras when you walk in. Um, you know, what's the best way to regulate, uh, you know, facial recognition and, uh, what do you think the blowback is going to be of, of this, uh, this conversation? Well, I mean, I, I think you're seeing it. There's nothing written in law that talks about it, at least not that I know of, um, in terms of having to give consent or anything like that. Um, I think, uh, you know, with this, as a marketer, I, I tip my cap. I mean, they took advantage of, uh, of data and something that was there to create a, a pretty sweet strategy in terms of if that's right or wrong. You know, that's not for me to decide. And, and I'm sure that a lot of people are going to say that it's wrong. And that's what sets the precedence. Uh, you know, we're going to go to court and, and see how this could all be used. But who knows? I mean, do you two things? One, how is this any different? I can go on and, and use factual to target people based off of their phone location data based off where they went literally down to 20 foot radius around a particular address. So how is that any different than than this facial recognition other than they're using a face rather than phone data? Um, and two. I can't even remember where I was going to go with number two, you know, <laughs> to be honest, but I'll I mean, tell how you. is any different? You know, well, this first off, this is despicable behavior. Okay. This is despicable behavior. And like you said, Dustin, they took advantage of customers. I, I can't imagine that anybody would be happy to relinquish their facial recognition data to a company like Macy's so that they could target them with guerrilla marketing tactics on social media platforms that they use and the websites that they visit. This is much different than any kind of geolocation tracking data, okay? I've, I've allowed a certain app to track my location that allows me to be able to be retargeted with that. And that one's on me. I did not go into Macy's and sign a flyer that says, hey, you can use my face on your security cameras to run advertising to me. I think that that is absolutely despicable behavior I think it is absolutely terrible that they're going to now have this blowback onto their brand. And in a time when retail is already suffering, bye-bye Macy's right along with JCPenney. Yeah, I mean, in, in ter there's a cost for everything. I mean, as awesome of as a marketing tactic as I, I say it is, there is that piece where now that people will see that it's been used that way, there's going to be a huge blowback on the brand. The other piece that I was going to get to was, you know, sure we sign i accept this on on apps and everything like that i mean are you kind of accepting that by walking into a store are we going to get to a point to where you're going to have to sign something saying that your face your identity your everything can be used in our marketing and you have to sign yeah. a waiver before you can enter well, a store if walking into a store means that you accept that then 
That's absolutely despicable. Despicable. Uh, Word um, of the day. Going into our next story. Shame on you, Macy's. Shame on you. <laughs> uh, going into our next story. ASU, Arizona State University, to welcome first-year students with events both virtual and in-person. Um, unusual times. Going back to school, Arizona State trying to promote some kind of in-person interaction. Um, they have over 170 different small group programs that they are facilitating uh, to help keep students in, interacting with each other, essentially. Uh, Dustin, you know, one big piece to this story, though, is that although they're doing in-person tours, uh, they're doing some virtual things with orientations, et cetera, uh, they are not allowing students to be able to cross-pollinate and go to other um, like uh, dorms, you know, so they can't go in view. They can't go to somebody down the street, go into their dorm. It's like they're mandating where and where you can't go uh, on campus. I think that that is kind of a risk. But what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, saying where you can and can't go, I think it's taking a little, little too far. But I mean, to me, it's about time that ASU does something like this. I mean, they uh, they are if they aren't the number one school in terms of uh, online students. I think they're right up there in the top five. Um, so, I mean, it, it surprises me that they haven't done this sooner. Um, but I mean, it's cool that they are doing it. I mean, my, my question is college student, how many are actually going to attend virtual events as opposed to just going, I guess, sneaking out to the, the dorm next to them that they're not allowed to be at and, uh, you know, congregate yeah. in person or whatever, you know, is yeah. this, this is going to make college more expensive because now you have to put on virtual side of things, which takes more people, more software, more stuff i mean is that going to cause tuition to to increase and if so is it going to have a positive roi effect i can't imagine that you increase tuition during this time that's absolutely ridiculous you're really kind of pulling the rug out from under people with their you know college experience as it is uh coming from somebody that attended asu i i don't see a lot of students getting behind this uh you know notoriously they have a movie night over at the mu and put something on the asu sponsors nobody's showing up um, and so it, it's really something where I can't see a lot of people getting behind this. I mean, for God, for God's sake, that nobody showed up to the virtual graduation <laughs> ceremony. How are we going to expect people to show up to virtual, you know, like Dunkin' Donuts? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I don't see this getting a whole lot of traction, and I see this kind of frustrating students if it means that they have to, uh, you know, choose where and where they where and where they can go and where they can't go on campus. Like, how are you going to enforce those things? Like, you're going to give people citations for doing that. Like, it's it just, it, I, I see a lot of negative implications of this, but I do applaud them for, you know, trying to put some programs together. We've seen a lot of other colleges that just aren't even attempting to do anything. Yeah. And so I think that that's, that's definitely a worse stance to take. Yeah, no, it is awesome. They're, they're doing something, always be innovating. And, uh, you know, coming from higher education in the past, doing some marketing, I wonder how much of this is geared towards the student versus the parent. The parent's going to see this go, wow, man, this is Amen. great. When you're going to ASU. Amen. So. Amen. Well, number one in innovation. So we'll see if that pays off. Before we get into our next story, I want to mention that we are powered by State 48. We appreciate you guys. Really a, a gem in terms of businesses based in Arizona and their mission. Um, to help empower and amplify the voices of amazing organizations. Um, they do a, a lot of really great partnerships with uh, other local uh, businesses as well as, you know, big brands. So uh, check out State 48. Dustin, do you have anything you want to mention about them? Clothing for All Inspired by Arizona. Check them out, state48.com.
So going into our next story, Amazon looks to turn malls into fulfillment centers. I feel like uh, we've been talking about this, you know, <laughs> yeah, got, we got more and more uh, these big businesses listen to entrepreneurs. I it's thank crazy. you for that. Yeah. But their whole goal is to turn these bigger locations into fulfillment centers so that they can go from two day shipping down to one day or same day shipping. Um, you know, Amazon has been buying smaller um, retail spots and malls offering kind of like, as you can see on TV type of stuff where they have small, small product in store, trying to, trying to get into the retail spots. And so this isn't the first time that they've been, uh, getting into retail locations. There's a lot of people arguing that malls really help bring communities together. Um, and by doing this, you're really deteriorating the community, um, in togetherness. So, I mean, Writings on the walls, it's been happening. We've been talking about it a lot. Is this good or is this bad? Is this going to have a negative impact on the community? I will say we've talked a lot about there being vacant commercial uh, locations. So it's like, is it good that at least they're getting taken up? I mean, what are your thoughts so on So my words aren't twisted. Last time we talked about this story, I advocated that Apple, Amazon, one of these companies come out of the woodwork and do something to take advantage of this retail space. I did not mean in the form of warehouses. I meant in the form of something that continues to bring the community together. That is what we are missing. Companies like Amazon, companies like Apple sitting on loads of cash. They're the ones that can facilitate this community involvement. And by putting warehouses in, that's not doing that. That's actually alienating the community involvement. Um, and, you know, you can tell me it's going to create all the jobs you want, but it's going to continue to eliminate the middle class, put more people in low paying jobs where they can't take a bathroom break. And so I am not necessarily for this. I think that, uh, you know, if they're going to do something to capitalize on this vacant space, I think it's also just a risk. Now you're going to be a real estate titan on top of being a e-commerce titan on top of being a web hosting titan. I mean, they're titan of five different industries. I just think it's a risk on top of the fact that, you know, it, I don't need one day shipping. I need humans in my life. And so I, I think that that's going to be something that it's just. So do we just leave tough. malls as a ghost town? I mean, is, I don't think is, malls is the... are a ghost town. I think that there's been plenty of opportunities for malls to become, you know, different co-working spaces, different business uh, office space. And so I think they repurposing them that way, as opposed to just putting a warehouse in there and alienating people all together from the mall. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that's tough to balance. Cause on one hand, it's like, sure. That sounds great. How long me as a land, uh, Landlord, do I not pay rent because landlord's going to be incentivized to do it? Yeah, for sure. That and that's where it all comes down to is, uh, I mean, all those other things sound great, but if they're not happening at the end of the day, you're not creating jobs, you're not using the space, it's going to waste. Um, yeah. If someone's not in there, then there's no property taxes. I mean, there's no taxes well, there's being collected. There's a um, clock ticking down too, yeah. right? It's like how much time can we do what we're doing before something like that is the only way? Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So only time will tell. So again, to our, our local story, two Arizona cities are amongst the most livable cities uh, for minimum wage workers. Number two in the nation is actually Tucson, and this is uh, held up by U of A um, and a $12 minimum wage. On average, it takes about 14 hours a week to work in order to pay for, uh, to pay for rent and to pay for your uh, cost of living. Phoenix is number nine on that list, um, again, at $12 per hour minimum wage. It's one of the fastest growing cities in America right now, and it takes on average about 17 hours a week to work in order to, to pay um, livable expenses. And really the question is, I mean, these are two great numbers. Ameri or 
Phoenix being the fastest growing city in America, is it going to be the top city in the in America in the next five years? Uh, you know, I I love Phoenix, huge supporter. I don't see that necessarily happening. I mean, one thing that is a problem right now are uh, people that work minimum wage jobs not being able to find housing that they can afford on that job salary. And so uh, I think that Phoenix is obviously a great place between Phoenix and Tucson, both being on this list, especially for lower wage workers, it gives them an opportunity to enhance their quality of life. And so I think you're going to continue to see people move to Arizona, but there's a point where the bubble bursts, right? You get enough people here and now what's the difference between here and anywhere else? Real estate prices are going to go up. So I, I don't see that that necessarily happening. I also don't see um, a shift from like New York, Chicago, LA, um, in, in these cities in Texas, like, uh, like Austin, Houston. I think there are places like Denver, also places that are growing just as rapidly as Phoenix. So I think it's going to be more of a kind of equal distribution than it will be people moving specifically to Phoenix. Yeah. I mean, I think in the next five years, it's, it's, I think it could be number one. I mean, you mentioned New York and uh, California. I mean, there are tons of people moving away from there into Arizona, Texas. I mean, it's, it's the cost of living is so cheap. I mean, your dollar goes far there. Um, But I mean, you got tons of the, the cost of doing business in Arizona is so much cheaper or economical than New York or California just because of taxes. And of so you're having more headquarters move out here with with big companies that have 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 employees. If you have a headquarters that moves out here, even if it's not just because of residential living, that's going to bring people over. And I think there's, I mean, Arizona's working hard to get more and more businesses well, here. Well, ASU has has done a great job of just being that that uh, talent factory for these places too. Just pumping out hundred thousand students a year, you know. Yeah, actually, just saw recently. I can never say I don't know his name is the governor of New York, Cuomo. Uh, Cuomo, yeah, yeah. He's actually he he uh, released a memo asking for wealthier New Yorkers to move back because they're 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 coming into a huge deficit in terms of uh, their their budget. And so, I mean, it's the, the writing's on the wall. People are leaving. The wealthy are leaving. They're tired of being taxed. I mean, I don't know where they're going, but it's a, it's a tough situation. Those I mean, high rises with COVID is probably not a great call either. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole other aspect. Arizona is pretty, pretty wide. Yeah. So going into our, our last story, are you tired of Zoom calls? So there's a company that is offering in-home holographics. So those of you who remember you the, heard the, it right. the awesome uh, Tupac holographic same here you can have your grandma or uh your nephew just pop up into your into your house um via hologram essentially it'll cost sixty thousand dollars and really they're they're really pushing for the b2b side uh leveraging this on on the business side i mean what are your thoughts on what this looks like for sales for just communication and what does this do to the business uh, travel industry i mean if you're able to somewhat see people in person yeah. i mean do you need to fly now take my money baby take it um, <laughs> i think 60 grand is probably a little extreme i mean we talked about a story a couple months back where uh there were some companies coming out of the woodwork to offer zoom conferencing via your uh television um and so i think that this is kind of obviously continuing to push us uh you know from the innovation standpoint um you know this is maybe a five to 10 year out kind of thing. I think there's definitely going to be some application here. I think the bigger point here that I want to make is that what does this do for, uh, for VR? You know, VR has been trying to push the envelope of this teleconferencing remote and, 
you know, both sitting at the same table, but across the country. I mean, I think that either way, this trend is going to have huge effects on airline travel um, from a business standpoint. But uh, yeah, I think that uh, it, it's a threat to VR because, you know, now it's less obtrusive, maybe a little more convenient. Obviously, it's a lot more expensive, but, uh, you know, yeah. a couple of years, who knows where it's going to be. That's where it's tough is like, is VR more in the business space or the the consumer space, I really see it more in the consumer space where it's, if I'm in a two hour presentation, I don't want to be wearing a VR headset, but if the team could be a holographic in there with the holographic whiteboard and writing, I'd rather see that. When it comes to virtual reality, it's, you know, I want to put a headset on and I want the entire reality to be virtual, not just someone showing up. If anything, I think this creates a, a pretty good competitor to the AR space. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it, it'll be interesting because, uh, especially on the sales side, I mean, how many in-person demos where it's like, it's done over Zoom or whatever, can you create much more of that that relationship or that rapport well, I mean, being there in person? We, we see the same thing with VR and people would rather look at a phone screen or a TV screen than in a VR headset, whether it's watching a movie, like maybe gaming is starting to kind of shift a little bit, but even still, it's like people want to have a handset and look at the TV and play. And so, I mean, with this, it's like, you know, would people rather look at a phone screen or a TV screen than look at a hologram? And, you know, they may have the same problems, but yeah. either way, I think it's interesting to see this trend, uh, you know, further growing. Yeah. And even outside of external communication, I think for major corporations, Fortune 500, this could be huge for internal communications, yeah. especially working remote. I mean, to have the CEO just uh, do a daily stand up or something and, and you got yep. them there, you're going to be able to communicate in a more effective way. It's going to resonate more. Um, yeah. Imagine if the, the organization uh, just buys these for all the C-suite members. <laughs> you have your boardrooms. Everybody gets one in their home. Uh, it's going to be crazy. Just sitting there working and all of a sudden, boop, CEO yeah. shows up in your house. It's good. It's good. some James Bond stuff, man. But uh, Hopefully not in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, a lot of interesting stories today. Uh, Macy's, shame on you. Shame on you, Macy's. Shame on you. Hmm. Amazon. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what it's going to do to the commercial real estate space. Yeah. No, hopefully it'll be, hopefully it'll bounce back. I mean, I think they're, they're the really the only, the only companies that can uh, help them to bounce back are going to be what Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Google. Those are the only ones that have a uh, sitting on all sorts of cash to buy up all the Amazon's commercial. good at pouncing when the opportunity is there. They're, that yeah, is for sure. Get mad at them for that. That is for sure. We can get mad at them, but I don't know if we can necessarily <laughs> do anything about it. Uh, well, thank you guys for tuning in again. You've been watching the Non-Corporate Network, the worldwide leader in entrepreneurship. Uh, check us out on Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts or if you get them. Um, we'll be back Wednesday, Friday, bringing some more stories. Uh, thank you guys for watching. If you want to start your own show, check us out at ncnbroadcast.com. We want to help you bring that to life. Um, and finally, reach out to us if you want to show us a story uh, or have us debate a topic. We are ready to do so. Uh, Dustin, do you have anything you want to mention? No, I appreciate you guys tuning in. Check out stay48.com. Sweet. Well, we appreciate you guys. We'll be back on Wednesday. Get after it. Peace. Peace. I got the last word. <laughs>